You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, open to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We have been in the study of Ecclesiastes for the last couple of weeks. This is a 12-week series as we're taking all 12 chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes and breaking them down, looking at them verse by verse. And today, we're going to look at just 15 verses of chapter 3. Now, remember, Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon. The son of David, the king of Israel, he is the wealthiest man in the world, the wisest man in the world, the most powerful man in the world, serving the most powerful nation in the world. And so as he is um, giving us instruction, the one thing that he says very clearly from the front that everything is meaningless under the sun. And under the sun, he refers to life that is lived purely on the horizontal, life that's purely lived by your five senses, life that is purely secular in nature, trying to find happiness and enjoyment and satisfaction apart from the things of God. And in this passage, in this book, he keeps bringing us back, and the Holy Spirit keeps bringing us back to the truth that life under the sun is meaningless in the horizontal. But when we pursue a relationship with God in the vertical through a relationship with Jesus Christ, then life has great meaning. Today we're in chapter 3, and chapter 3 says a lot about time. Now let's, let's pretend for just a moment. Let's pretend that your banker calls you tomorrow, and your banker tells you that there is an anonymous donor who loves you very much, And this donor has made an agreement that every single day he will add to your bank account 86,400 pennies. So 86,400 pennies is $864 every day, seven days a week for a year. And he's going to put this into your bank account. Now, here's the stipulation. You have to spend all 864 of those dollars every single day. And what you don't spend is zeroed out, and he starts over again the next day. And what you spend it, you get all of it. If you don't spend it all, you lose it. Now, some of you are thinking right now, okay, let's make a list of how I can spend $864 every day. If I begin to think about that, that's $6,000 a week, $315,000 a year in your bank accounts. And you're already kind of figuring this out. Well, let's get to reality now. Nobody's going to do that for you. <laughs> However, there's someone who loves you very much. And he has put into your your time bank account 86,400 seconds every day. That's 1,440 hours. That's uh, 1,440 minutes, 24 hours every day. And God loves you so much that he has put 24 hours into your bank account every single day. And you are to use all 24 of that. And if you only use 22, two hours don't go into tomorrow to make it a 26-hour day. No, it starts all over again. And time is very valuable to us. We live in this 86,400 seconds every single day. 1,440 minutes, 24 hours is what we get. 
And we understand the importance of time. We use the phrase time all the time, don't we? Consider some of the ways we might use it. What time does the event start? How much time will it take? I don't have that much time to waste. It's time to go. Time out. It's time we have a long talk. Time's up. And we can go on and on. And the reality is this, time is precious to us. Time is irretrievable. Once we miss the opportunity, we don't get a redo. We do not get an instant replay in life. You might get that in the sporting events, but we don't. And once the time is gone, it is gone. Now, time is relative. Let me give you an illustration. Two weeks on a luxurious vacation is a lot different than two weeks on a boring diet. So it is relative. And have you noticed that some people can, um, can, can spend more time in an hour with you than some a week with you? And if you're thinking about that, you might be that person. So go ahead and think on that through the course of this week. But the reality is you and I are governed every single day by 24 hours. Now here's what we must understand. While you and I live in these little blocks, and by the way, your calendar has blocks for a purpose because that's how much you get every day. We are constrained by time. We do everything by time. We wake up at a certain time. We go to bed at a certain time. We eat breakfast at a certain time, lunch at a certain time. Everything is governed by time. But before we jump into chapter three and unpack it, we have to understand that God's perspective of time is totally different than ours. And sometimes what we want to do, see, I used the word time right there. Sometimes what we want to do is we want to bring God into our time frame. And we want to think in him of terms of how we consider time. But God is totally different from our scope of time. And if we're going to understand this chapter, we have to understand where God's perspective. We have to look through his lens when we look at the issue of time. So where do we go? We can go to a lot of verses. But let me just give you two. Isaiah chapter 46, verses 8 through 11. You don't have to turn there, but mark it down somewhere. Here's what he says. Isaiah, God is speaking. Remember this. What? What I'm about to say. Stand firm. Plant yourself in this. Recall it to your mind, you transgressors. Remember that former things of old. What are the former things? I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all of my purpose. Verse 11, he goes and says, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. What is he saying here? God is saying, I don't operate in your time frame. I'm far above your time frame. I am God. There's no one with whom you can compare me to. There's no one who's like me. I alone stand apart from all of other creation. And I know the end from the very beginning. God sits on top of time. God knows every detail of time from eternity past to eternity future. God not only knows all the events of time, but listen to this. God is in every moment. 
He is not only in time in the past. He's not only in time in the present. God transcends all time, and he is in time in the future. He not only knows every single moment, he controls every single moment, and he is in every single moment. Now, that blows our mind that God is not constrained by time like you and I are. You and I do not even know what's going to happen the rest of this day. And God is saying to us, listen, I know more than you. I see more than you can see. I have seen it before it has even existed. And there's never been a time where I have not known the beginning and the end. He sits over all of time. But not only that, he governs all things. I love the way he says, I call the bird of prey. And he does it. That falcon that attacks that rabbit, God says, yeah, I did that. I did that. I called him to attack that rabbit. Yeah, that was me. I called him to that task. And God governs all the issues of humanity, past, present, and future. Here's the other thing we need to understand. Just in case you're thinking that God doesn't govern the things in your life, he does. He says, I call the man from one country to another country. You see that man, he went there because I did that. Some of you have moved to Wilmington because of a job. And you're thinking, my job moved me here. And God says, no, 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 I I did that. No, you don't understand. There was an opening in this company and I knew this person. I gave him my name and the next thing I know, God, yeah, 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 I did that. I put you together. I was orchestrating the events. Some of you are in college here at UNCW and you're saying, you know, I just chose this from three colleges. It was just a, it was a toss up for me. And God said, no, 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 I, I did that. You see, I'm behind all of these things. Now, it's not that God is pulling the strings of your life and you make no choices and you have no free agency. God uses all the events in our lives to accomplish his purpose. And it goes way beyond anything we can ever imagine. So while you and I are locked into this little block called time, God is not, and he is over all things. Now listen, not only is he sovereign, omnipotent, and omniscient when it comes to time, there's something even greater than that, and that's the fact that he knows you from eternity past. How do we know? Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16 is a very popular passage, particularly when we use talking about the sanctity of human life. And when we find this passage as God is speaking about us and his knowledge of us. And I want you to know, it's not in generic terms. A lot of times when we read this, we put it in kind of generic terms, but this is very specific to you today. And the Holy Spirit is sharing this with you today. What is he saying? This is what he says. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. See, not only does God sit over time and know the end from the beginning, 
but he knows you intricately. He knows you. Not just humanity in general, you specifically, you sitting in this building today. He knows Kim intimately. He knows Rhett intimately. He knows Mike intimately. There's not a person here he doesn't know intimately. And when has he known you from eternity past? There's never been a time he has not known you. He knows everything about you. He knows every cell in your body. He knows the chromosomes that make you what you are. He knows your DNA. He knows every genome code within you. He knows every feature of how you're shaped. He knows your personality. He knows your tendencies. There is nothing he does not know. And your gender has been divinely assigned to you. And it's not a dysphoria. He knows all of these things. And let me tell you, when he knows you, listen, some of you might be here and thinking, uh, uh, um, your, your parents may have thought you were an accident. You, maybe your parents have said, you know, we didn't plan you. Or maybe if you're adopted and you feel like my parents didn't love me, they gave me away. I was a mistake. And while your parents might say, oh no, God said, oh yeah. I made her. I made him. And they are a masterpiece. You know what the word masterpiece means? It means notable of worthy excellence. And here's, here's, you do not make masterpieces on an assembly line. They are made individually by the master artist. And every single person here, God knows. Now we see God's time. We see his perspective. He doesn't think like we think. And when it comes to time, he's outside of it. He's within it. He's in all of it. There's nothing he doesn't know. Now, with that perspective and the lens of God, let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1, Solomon begins by saying, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. For everything, there's a season. For everything, there's a time. Now, what happens a lot of times is people read these first eight verses and they think these are just things that happen in the lives of individuals. These are just patterns of people's lives, but it's much more than that. Because when we read these things, he gives us 14 statements, 14 of them are positive, 14 of them are negative. Let's just read through them. Here's what he says. That there's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. 
Now, most of the time when people read through these, they're just saying, yeah, okay, these are the seasons, the kinds of things that people go through. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. But what Solomon is teaching in this passage, he has given us four things we need to know with the concept and the understanding of God's perspective on time. Here's the first thing. He gives us God's plan. He gives us God's plan. And he tells us what the plan of God is. These are not just simply things that happen to us. These are not things that we just go through and sometimes we experience the good things and the bad things. No, in God's scope of eternity, in God's scope of time, here's what this passage is about. It is life is filled with divine ingredients that God sends into our lives. These things are not just happenstances. These are the divine ingredients that God uses in our lives for our good. Now, a lot of people just read through these and not think much of it. But these are the things that God sends our way. He sends the good things. He sends the bad things. He sends the joys. He sends the struggles. He is the author beyond all of this. And rather than looking at this as a list of happenstance, it's better to look at it as a set of ingredients. Like if you're going to bake a cake, you have the ingredients, and you put the ingredients in a bowl, and you stir them all together, and you get the final product. And what is God doing in the midst of all this? He's using all of this stuff in our life to prepare us to be what we need to be. Now, let's be honest. We don't like some of the ingredients, do we? We would rather treat this as a buffet line. I'm going to go to an all-you-can-eat buffet. And what happens when you go to a buffet? You get the stuff you want, and you stay away from the stuff you don't want. Give me that fried chicken. Yeah, man. Put me some chicken on there. Got some little barbecue. Oh, got some mustard greens. No, no, not even cows eat that. I'm going to skip right past that. Brussels sprouts, not at all. Mashed potatoes, french fries, dessert. So what do we do? We pick the stuff we like. And when we lead, read through this list, we don't like it. Let's go through it. Oh, I like a time to be born, but uh, no, no, don't, no, no death, thank you. Time to plant? Yeah, I, I like to plant. I love that. But pulling up plants and getting all dirty? No. A time to kill, a time to heal? I'll take healing. And Although sometimes on Market Street, I don't mind the killing aspect of it. <laughs> a, a time to break down and a time to build up? No, you know what? I, I, I want to build up. I don't want to tear people down. A time to weep, a time to laugh? I'd rather laugh. In fact, I'd rather laugh until I cry. That's what I want. A time to mourn and a time to dance? No, no, not too much dancing. We are Baptists. And let me just clear something up. It's not that Baptists don't dance. It's that Baptists can't dance. <laughs> a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. I'd rather collect, although we are pretty good at throwing stones, aren't we? A time to embrace I'd rather be embracing than being shunned by someone. I'd rather find something than lose it. I'd rather keep it than throw it away. You know what? I'd, I'd rather sew up something than tearing it apart unless it's some of those partially disintegrated genes we talked about last week. I, I, keep quiet? No, I'd rather speak. Love? I'd rather love than hate. War? No, I don't want war. I want peace. You see what we do? We go through this course and we pick out the things that we want. And we avoid the things that would give us trouble. Isn't that natural for every one of us? When something difficult comes into our lives, sometimes we blame Satan for it. 
And let me tell you something, that's a dangerous thing because a lot of times Satan gets credit for some things that God is wanting to do. And we need to be very careful with that because in the midst of all of these ingredients, God sends some things. What would happen if you and I were only pampered all the time? Have you ever known a person that's pampered all the time? Have you ever known a person that's spoiled, that's entitled? What do they want? They expect the world waits on them. And God is not about building people whose universe surrounds them. It's like a little baby. A little baby, the universe is around a baby. We got some little newborns in here today. And that little newborn says, you know what? I want my passy when I want it. I want my bottle when I want it. I want you to play with me. I want you to make silly faces at me. I want you to dance with me. I want you to dance right now for me. <laughs> and what happens if you don't? They begin to whine and cry. And what happens, I think, in the church, we have a bunch of whiny crybabies because we're not willing to let God use the hard things to make us who he wants us to be. So God has a plan. I love what Chuck Swindoll says. God Never waste pain. Character is always built on the anvil of difficulty. And in God's scope of all things, he has a plan for you and for me. What is the purpose in the plan? Well, that's the second thing. God's purpose. And we see God's purpose in verses 9 through 11. As a matter of fact, in verses 9 through 11, there's a threefold purpose that Solomon tells us God has when he sends these ingredients into our lives. Look at verse 9. He says, what gain has the worker from his toil? I mean, in other words, after all of this, what's the advantage? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of men. I've seen what God does. I see the good things. I see the struggling things. So what possible purpose is it? And now he gives us a threefold purpose. Verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. There are three things that God's purpose in his plan of these ingredients in our lives of good things and bad things. Here's the first purpose, to bring about beauty in our lives. You see what it says in verse 10? He says that all things are made beautiful in his time. It's a beautiful picture. All things are made beautiful in his time. God takes the ingredients of all these things that he sends in our life, the joys, the hurts, the disappointments, the sorrows, the sufferings, all of those different things, and he is creating something. And there's a process to this creation. He mixes them together in a bowl. And if you're going to be cooking a cake or baking something like that, what do you do? You put that into a bowl. You mix all the ingredients together. You put it into a pan. You turn the heat up on the oven. You stick it in the oven for a prescribed amount of time. And then you let it cook. And what comes out is beautiful. And what does it suggest? That there is time involved. That there is pain involved. That there's some heat involved. And in the midst of what God is doing through all of these things, he is making something beautiful in his time. 
So no matter what comes your way from the perspective of God's view of time, he's using it all to make you something that you would not be without those ingredients. Nobody likes to eat a bag of flour, but we'll taste some sugar. But it takes both sugar and flour together to make something beautiful, a cake. We love the sound of a mountain stream, a brook. We love the sound that it makes as it flows through, but it would have no sound if there were no rocks. We love the sound of the ocean, the constant rhythm of the waves coming upon waves, but there would be none of that without turbulence. We love the smell of perfume, but there would be no aroma without the crushing of a flower. And here's what God does. He uses all of these things in his time. Let me just give you a beautiful illustration. Some of you know this. Some of you recently experienced this. My son and daughter-in-law are due today, and that's the birth of a child. And you think about, what's the process of a child coming along? First, there's always the pleasure of intimacy with husband and wife. And then there's the double pleasure of hearing the announcement that you're going to have a baby. And then comes the nauseous, sick feelings that you might feel in the morning, ladies. And then the changing of your body. And then the hormones and those really weird cravings for food that your husbands cannot understand. And then the cramps and the moodiness. Sounds really fun, doesn't it? And then the anticipation of moving towards that birth. And then you get to the hospital and then the labor comes. I remember, I, I remember like it was yesterday when Chris was giving birth to Ryan. She was in there, and it was in the older days. They didn't have the digital reads outs. They had the little graphs, and every time she'd have a contraction, that thing would go really high. And she's in the bed just, ah, ah, and I'm looking at the graph, and it goes real high. In my very sensitive nature, I say, oh, I bet that one hurt. Um, <laughs> not the right thing to say. Garrett, I might be with you in that communications class. And so anyway, she goes through all of that. And then she's in pain and she's pushing and labor. And at that point, I'm thinking, this is terrible. No man should have to go through this. <laughs> and then finally, Ryan comes out. And there's incredible joy. Because here's this little beautiful little baby who's cleaned off and given to his mother. And immediately they want that bond and that breastfeeding takes place. And you know what's really interesting, ladies? That when women breastfeed, breastfeed there it excretes a hormone in your body that causes your body and your mind to forget about the pain. And it's a good thing that God put that in there or we would all have just one child. <laughs> and we wouldn't like that child very much. And men, after that, Birth, do not look over to your wife and say, so when are we having another one? <laughs> Give her time. So here's the picture. There's pain, all of this, and then there's something beautiful that comes out of this. And some of you right now are thinking, God, that doesn't make sense. That broken dream, that hurts. How can you be in that? That dissolved marriage, that hurts. How can you be in that? That diagnosis that has set me back, how can you possibly use that for my good? 
And you can add every hurt and every pain to that, and here's the problem. When you and I are in the midst of the pain, when we're in the crucible, when we're in the fire, when that timer hasn't finished and God has not completed his work, sometimes we are standing way too close to the stained glass. And all we see are the ragged, rough edges, and we can't make sense of the picture. Or sometimes we're looking at the wrong side of the tapestry and the loom on the backside is just filled with craziness and knots and all the things that make no sense. And here's the problem. We stand too close, but you and I can never stand as far back as God sees. So what do I do? I trust him. Father, I cannot see what you see. You've seen this from eternity past. This sickness makes no sense to me. But you understand the end. And at the end of it all, you are wanting to make something beautiful. So in the midst of your pain, you stand back and you trust him. And you let him do the work that he wants to do in you. Because when we go through these things, he is making something beautiful. But here's the second purpose, to have us focus our minds on eternity. He says this, not only am I making all things beautiful in my time, I have put eternity in your hearts. What does that mean? Now, many scholars look at that. What does it mean to have eternity in your heart? Some scholars will say, well, that's God's putting that inside of you because he wants you to be curious about eternity. And I think that's valid. Some people will say, no, God's putting eternity in your heart is bringing you back to a longing of what Adam and Eve once had in the garden. And you know something's missing in humanity, and there's this deep longing in you to go back to what you were before the fall. Yeah, I could give some validity to that too. But I think the overarching meaning is this. God has put eternity in our hearts because he has never designed you and me to live 80 years and not exist anymore. He's created you and me forever. Every person in this room, without exception, every person listening to my voice, you are created for eternity. And God has put that eternity into your hearts. And you know that. You know, it's interesting. Atheist always talk about that there is no God. Let me tell you what an atheist is like. An atheist is like the little boy who's walking past a graveyard at night, reminding himself constantly, there is no God, there is no God. I'm sorry, there is no ghost, there are no ghosts, there are no ghosts, but constantly looking back over his shoulder in case there's one. That's an atheist. Have you noticed that atheists spend more time talking about God than they don't? Why? Because there's something within every one of us that understands eternity. I I, I like doing funerals. And it's not because it's morbid. I like doing funerals because at a funeral, every single person in that room has the keen awareness of death and eternity. Every person there. Without exception. They're all thinking, this person I once knew has died. Now they're not here. They're somewhere else. I don't know where they are. But they all have this sense of eternity. And at every funeral I do, I share the gospel and I say, look, if that person could come back, they were not going to talk about heaven. They're going to talk about what it takes to be with Jesus forever. And it doesn't matter if it's a saint of God or if it is the most wicked, depraved sinner who has died. 
They will either come back from heaven or they'll come back from the pits of hell and they both will tell you the same thing, that eternity is real and what you do with Jesus determines where you go, without exception. The greatest evangelists in the world are those who are already dead because they know the truth. And within every single human being, you know God has made you to live forever. And for those who are in Christ, listen, I'm gonna talk to you now. For those of you who are in Christ, when he's saying that you were created for eternity, it's not just so you can live in eternity. Listen to me. Listen to me. It's not so you can just live in eternity. It's so you can live for eternity. That's the point. I put eternity in your hearts. And those of you who know me have trusted Christ, I have made you for heaven. Why are you trying to build your kingdom here? Your kingdom is with me. I'm not saying you can't have nice things. I'm not saying you can't have new homes. I'm not saying you can't have new cars. But what I am saying and what Solomon is saying to us is why is all of your focus on the things that will burn and the things that you keep finding to please you are the same things you keep finding to try to please you and they don't. I am your source of joy. And when he says he's put eternity in your heart, listen, God's purpose is for you to live for eternity and for his glory. So he's using these things for your beauty. He's using these things to get your focus on the things that really matter. But lastly, to continue to trust him when we cannot understand him. I love the way Solomon writes this. He says that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. In other words, there's some things about God you're never going to know. There's some mysteries about God you're never going to understand. And be careful. Listen to this. God is not obligated to tell you every mystery about him. He's not. The hidden things belong to the Lord. Deuteronomy 29, 29. And there's some things we can never know. So you know what that means? That means, God, I don't know. Just like the song we sang, I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. And I know what you will do for your purpose. So Solomon's saying, God has a plan. He uses all these things as an ingredient. Why? To fulfill his work in you, to get your focus on eternity, and to recognize that there are things you can never fully understand so you Trust him. God's plan. God's purpose. Here's the third thing Solomon's teaching us. God's pleasure. What is his pleasure? Look at verses 12 and 13. I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all. All of his toil, this is God's gift to man. Remember last week, we ended with the gift that God has for us. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is lasting joy. It's lasting. And the gift that God has for us is this. I'm giving you wonderful gifts. Enjoy them. Enjoy life. Enjoy being with your family. Enjoy being with your friends. Enjoy being on the boat. Enjoy playing golf. Enjoy fishing. Enjoy hunting. Enjoy the struggles. Enjoy 
the difficulties. Embrace the disappointments. Because in all of these things, I have you in mind. And that's the heart of the Father to us. As he's sitting and looking over all of eternity, he sees you. And all of these are for you. And here's the last thing. I'm going to close with this. We see God's permanence. Verses 14 and 15. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already, uh, that which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Again, he's closing by what we started with. God sits on, on the top of time. There's nothing he doesn't see. There's nothing he's not in. And there's nothing he is not governing. So he says this, what I have done will stand. You will not change the plan of God. I will not change the purposes of God. Now, I can interrupt his purposes in my life by making the pain longer than it needs to be because I haven't embraced it and I'm not letting him use it for his glory. And what's the purpose of it? So that I can have a right fear of him. Now, this is the right kind of fear. This is not the abject fear of a little kid who's scared of a monster. That's not what the picture is. This is a picture of a person who has this reverent awe of the magnificence of God. And because of all of these things, I stand back and I don't understand it, but I look back and how God has been working in the last several years and it makes sense. And now I stand before him. Wow, Father, you are completing your plan in me. Some of you moved to Wilmington. You had no idea why you came here. And in the midst of that, God introduced you to neighbors who invited you to a church where you have heard the gospel and now you are sons and daughters of God. And you look back and you say, wow, I never would have thought that. Some of you have gone through broken relationships and you in your mind, the pieces will never be picked up. And you look back at God's faithfulness in that through the time and the time in the furnace. And as you're walking through that, you see what God is doing in your life and you stand back and you say, wow, man, he is awesome. Fear is a good thing if it's healthy. You might teach your children not to play in the road because they might get hit by a car and get killed. That's a fearful thing. Your children are not going to lie awake in bed at night thinking, oh, 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 every time I look at the road, I'm going to die. No, it's a, it's a healthy thing. It's like that dad that was telling his little boy, don't play in the road, you're going to get hit by a car. If you get hit by a car, you're going to die. And he'd tell that little boy every day, and one day when they walked out to the road, there was a perfect illustration. There was a dead squirrel. Right in the middle of the road. He said, son, you see that? If you get hit by a car, that's what happens to you. The boy's eyes got big. He went inside and he said, mom, guess what? She said, what? She said, if I get hit by a car, I'll die and I'll turn into a squirrel. <laughs> we don't fully understand. That was not in my notes. I don't know where. But God purposed it. 
So how do we wrap all this up? Let me wrap this up for us. You have 86,400 seconds every day. 1,440 minutes, 24 hours. And every day God gives that to you for his glory. For his glory. You and I are stuck in this time. It's what our life is. But God is not. But 2,000 years ago, God loved you and me so much that he stepped into our 86,400 seconds. He, who was infinite, became finite. He, who was spirit, became pierceable. He, who was perfect and free from pain, became tortured for you and me. And for Jesus Christ, he stepped into the same time frame that you and I live. There was a time when he was born. There was a time when he grew in stature and in favor with God and man. There was a time when Jesus healed. There was a time when Jesus laughed. There was a time when Jesus wept over the brokenness of humanity and the loss of his friends. There was a time where Jesus danced at weddings and celebrated with his friends. And there was a time when he mourned in the garden. There was a time when he spoke to reveal to us the heart of the Father. And there was a time when he was silent before his accusers. There was a time when he's instructed people to drop their stones. And there was a time when people picked up their stones because of him. There was a time when he was tortured. He was spit upon. He was beaten, and it was a time when he hung on a cross and he died. And there was a time when he was buried. And there was a time when God raised him from the dead. And there is never a time in your life that he cannot identify with. So he came for you. So that in Christ... There will be a time where for us, time will be no more. And we will be with him forever. And until that time, he is using the ingredients of life to make you and me like him. If you're here today and you're not a believer... You've never trusted Christ. My friend, listen to me carefully. It's not an accident that you're here today. Oh, no, no, no. So-and-so brought me, and they said, if I come, they'll take me to lunch. Well, I hope they live up to their bargain. But God did that. God did that. You're here by divine appointment. And you are here today so God can speak to you to let you know how deeply he loves you through his son. And that because of Jesus Christ... All of life can make sense and become beautiful. But you will need to yield to him.
and just say, I surrender my life. My friend, this is no accident that you're here. Believers, let me talk to you. You have great joy that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And you have great joy that one day you will be with Jesus forever. Why are you living for this world? Why are you living for this moment? Sure, we enjoy every moment that God has given to us, but this is not the end. This is a means to the end and the fact that we are going to live forever. And so some of us have been so focused on our own kingdoms that we don't have our minds on eternity. And we're living for right now. And this is only passing through so that we live for the glory of Christ as we focus on the things that are above. It's a challenge, isn't it? And every day, God brings those ingredients into our lives and he stirs them up and he uses every one of them to make us like his son. Embrace that. Let God do his work in you now. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to close your eyes, bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're hearing my voice, you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, but God is saying to you, I know everything you've been through. I know what you're going through. Your only answer is me. You will live forever, but I want you to live with me forever. The answer for you is to surrender your life to Jesus. Just pray this prayer to yourself, not out loud, just to yourself. Just say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that I find no happiness or fulfillment or meaning in my own life. But I believe Jesus is your son and I believe he died for me. And right now, I surrender my life to you. I give you everything. My past, my present, my future. I trust you as Lord and Savior. And right now I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And to give me eternal life. Amen. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're a believer here today, what are the things that the Holy Spirit is pressing on you to do with what you've heard? Oh, may we be reminded that God created us as masterpieces the way he wants us. And Father, would you please keep us from always wanting to be somebody else? Perhaps even right now, God is just saying to you, there's areas of your life that you need to repent of and turn from. And trust me in all of this. Fears, doubt, anxiety. Trust him. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for giving us the perspective of time from your lens. And Father, may we walk in this way that will please you and honor you. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.